0: The eternal entrepreneur, we believe faith comes by hearing, and so do business skills. You'll hear powerful stories and strategies to grow your business, directly from Christian leaders who have done it all before. Catch us on Mondays for lunch breaks, our bite-sized business series, and twice a month on Fridays for faith-inspiring interviews. Hello, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for The Eternal Entrepreneur. I am Pierce Brantley, along with my co-host, Joe Newton, and we cannot got be more excited to share our conversation with Darren Shearer. As a former captain, Darren earned the United States Air Force Commendation Medal for his service in Kuwait during Operation Iraqi Freedom. From there, he founded Highbridge Media, an agency which publishes world-changing ideas from thought leaders. Darren is also the director at the Theology of Business Institute, a global think tank for marketplace Christians. A thought leader himself, his book, Marketing Like Jesus, will challenge you to market your business in new, Christ-provoked ways.
1: Hey, Darren, it is an honor to have someone of your caliber to get to talk with today. Thank you for taking the time.
2: Wow, that's high praise. Thanks, Joe. (laughs) Pierce, great. Really great to be with you. Been looking forward to this.
1: Darren, can you give our audience a little bit of a backstory? As far as we heard, you were in the military, decorated in the military. And how did you get from there into entrepreneurship? And where along that journey did Christ decide he needed to join you?
2: Yeah, I think I was always an entrepreneur. I had business cards when I was 11 years old for my little lawn (laughs) business. And so I was going around, I didn't really have the whole pricing thing figured out. I was probably working for peanuts. I'd make some money and then get on my bike and ride down to the mall back when they had arcades. And then I would blow all my money. So didn't really have a lot of good financial education at that stage of my life. But I definitely knew that I I wanted to go and hang out my own shingle so to speak. Yeah, that's how I got started in entrepreneurship. And then just fast forward into the military. I'm still an entrepreneur. I think the textbook term would be intrapreneur when you're working in a big kind of bureaucratic organization like the United States government. And so I was always just Looking for ways to improve things and improve processes, and the Air Force does make a place for that, as bureaucratic as it is. And so, I, I really had an amazing experience in the Air Force. In terms of when I really started to partner with God in my in the workplace, I was leaving the base one day there at Barksdale Air Force Base in Shreveport, Louisiana, and. I was driving over these railroad tracks, leaving the base, heading off to go do some good volunteer work through my local church. I'm a preacher's kid, just wanted to be involved in what the local church was doing. and was doing a lot of great volunteer work. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this base is your ministry. And that was really the moment where it all shifted for me to realize that God wanted to be a whole lot more involved in what I was doing, kind of nine to five, than just what I was doing in my volunteer work and playing on music teams and street evangelism and all those wonderful ministries that m- the majority of us spend most of our waking hours working in a for-profit company, and and so that's the the origin story, so to speak.
3: Darren, I love that. I when you first heard those that impression from the Lord that this was your ministry. What kind of went through your head being a PK and also having your own sort of journey going on there? What did you default to? And how has that evolved, if at all?
2: Because I was so focused on, I think, having grown, my dad was very much involved. Sadly, my dad just passed away from COVID a couple months ago. But I just thank God so much for his legacy. And he was the type of pastor that... He was going to get out and go stand in front of abortion clinics and counsel young moms that were about to go in and and have their baby's life taken. And so he was doing a lot of things that aren't exactly, they don't exactly mesh with the traditional church growth strategies of, and so to his credit, he really set that example for me that church is not just about what's going on inside the four walls, but what are we doing out in the culture and really to his dying breath, that was the message that he was broadcasting nonstop. But I, I still just having been in churches and the way that pastors are the metrics that they're looking at aren't necessarily what is the impact you're making in your workplace? but what are you doing within the church? For example, I I wrote a book called The Marketplace Christian about using spiritual gifts in the marketplace. And there's an assessment in there to help you identify what are your gifts? Is it teaching, administration? A lot of these gifts that we're using in our businesses all the time. But when you take an assessment like that in a church, they're giving you the assessment not to find out, how are you going to use this in your everyday life? But how are you going to use this in a volunteer capacity yes. in our local church? And and so that's just anyone who's been around the, the church world for long enough, you, you start to realize that's what really is moving the needle in the minds of most pastors. There are some that are that are different, like my dad, but that's, that was my default,
3: man. First off, I'm so sorry about your father, but incredible legacy. Yeah. It sounds like amazing yeah. guy. I think I can re- resonate with, with the, the whole church thing. I think I get scared of even filling out those surveys anymore because I don't know <laughs> if oh, I'm going to get stuck on some ministry They're coming after and, you, man. They're coming after me. And I didn't even realize I was late and all of a sudden I'm not teaching or not administrating, but, I love your heart in that because it's true. So often, I think we it's easy to put blinders on our giftings and focus them in on places that we think are altruistic, meaning they, they need to be given for free or there's no value add in them. And the challenge, the aspirational challenge of, I think, Christian entrepreneurship is that there is an opportunity to take these things that the New Testament talks about over and over again. And find a way of honing them in and, and having a value add that is going to have influence in the community, influence in the kingdom, influence in and any kind of ministry capacity. That's and nice. it's a shift. It is a shift. And it's I like it because it's a healthy challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. You can't just go on the skirts of just volunteering it out Not that there's anything wrong with that. You have to focus it in and you have to be almost competitive with it. And that that's a wonderful journey to take alongside the Lord. It's cool.
2: Yeah, and you got to realize that a lot of most pastors are, they're entrepreneurs and they've got essentially a business that they're running. And and I don't mean that because I have a very high view of the calling of business people. When I say business, I'm not saying some sort of necessary evil, but there's just a different, there's a different focus. There's a different bottom line. Certainly we're all about the kingdom, but like you don't go into a tire shop, Pierce. I know you just had a baby. You don't go into a tire shop and say, Where, "Where's the baby food?" They're like, "That's, That's good. we want babies to get fed." We just don't feed them here. That's just right. not really. And and we also want people to have tires to drive on because that's not really safe to be out there driving without tires. So both are important value propositions. And I think it's like with the church, even though we have a lot of churches are, are trying to do everything and we put so many demands on pastors to be these like superheroes it, uh, with every social issue has, they've got to get it's like how many sermons do you think they're going to preach in a given year if there's yeah. 52 sundays in a year and they're going to preach for maybe 30 35 minutes each of those sundays then you, they can't really hit everything that everybody wants them to hit but they're going to hit something and it's going to be the unique message that god is, has given to them they're going to emphasize something And I think that's what we're all called to do. So I think we got to first start by letting our pastors off the hook and really as marketplace Christians step up into the assignment, the calling that he's given to each of us.
3: Now is, I'm curious, do you think that there are things that business leaders can learn from pastors, from you have such a rich legacy there? And then a follow up on that. I'm curious how All of this has led to you leading with the business of theology, institute.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I went to seminary and pretty much all of my classmates intended to go and and plant a church or start a, a nonprofit of some sort. But in most of those cases, as I have kept up with some of those classmates through the years, almost all of them are working in for-profit companies now, which is interesting. And hopefully they have they don't have less of a quote-unquote ministry mindset. Hopefully they don't feel like they're completely missing it by not being the, the pastor of a church per se, as in a pulpit minister. Hopefully they are stewarding their calling as a business owner or as a manager of some sort, which by the way, is the main character in virtually all of Jesus's parables is a resource manager of some sort. And But as far as what we can learn from churches, I, th- I think starting out, just having the mindset for and, and pastors are doing the staff meetings, they're doing hiring and firing, they're doing basically all uh, dealing with zoning issues and all, all of the stuff that a business owner has to deal with for the most part.
1: I'm curious, Darren, it, it's interesting the great perspective that you have with what you've built with all all of your different avenues for education and empowering entrepreneurs, what have been some of the most practical ways that you've seen that business leaders have been able to start to partner with their local churches so that they can both help each other in that vein?
2: Yeah. I don't know if I would necessarily say, like when I did this research article, I wasn't saying necessarily that churches should operate like businesses. It really Brings the question of what is a church? Like, does it is a church something that gets incorporated, or is a church a fellowship of believers that can meet a a break room? Like I saw at the United Nations one time, or a couple of times actually went to worship with them when I lived in New York City. There's a group of workers at the UN from all different countries you can think of that gather in this break room while people are coming in to sit down with their little bag of lunch and they're sitting right next to this like church service that's happening. It's it's really pretty special, but I doubt they have the bylaws and the budget and and everything that like that. It's just that I think we muddy up what church is as things get more, more institutionalized. The main thing I'm trying to do is to not to make church sound less sacred than it is, but to really raise the stature of the sort of the spiritual stature of businesses. And because when we talk about making disciples, when Jesus talks about making disciples, as you go, where are people going? They're going to work. And that's where eighty five in the United States, about 85% of the Christian workforce works in a for-profit, Company. That's where they spend sixty to seventy percent of their waking hours, and and it's the same with the people that are not Christians. So if those Christians are going to be discipled, it's probably not just going to happen in a one-hour church service once a week. Average church attendance is actually considered just coming twice a month which is a whole lot less now because of COVID. A lot of people just aren't going at all, but they're still going to work. And But that's what has to happen is that the spiritual stature, for lack of a better term, of the Christ-centered companies, the Christian-led businesses has to be raised in the eyes of whatever we think of as clergy or just the church leadership in the world. And I'm not just talking about people that stand behind a pulpit.
3: There's a huge tendency, even for the the Christian anyway, to silo church to Sunday, Sunday happens at the pews. And then after that, I actually have to get my hands dirty during the week. And We have things that are helpful, like home groups and everything else. And what typically happens is we take the stuff that happens during the week. We pile it onto a prayer meeting, and, and then we say, we're going to pray for you. Go get back to us. And hopefully we get, we hear testimony or something like that, but then we have to follow up. We have to follow up. And there's this great opportunity in the hours of nine to five, 40 hours a week, 90,000, I think some hours total. And what happens is we have this great opportunity during the working day to participate in the great commission, to participate in discipleship, to participate in ministry in a way that opens up The lens of church, much to really what it was like in the Acts 2 environment. And oftentimes we say, Oh, you hear churches all the time say, We got to get back to an Acts 2 church. We got to get back to that. Yes. But the Acts 2 church also, it says they were like meeting in the colonnade, like they were in the public, they were out, they were around, they were doing things. And that's the great opportunity. Is to bring the testimony, the story of what God is doing in our lives directly to the people we are in contact with through the opportunity of entrepreneurship or business or anything else. And meeting people where they are at, not for just a two hour sliver once a week. And I love it because it just it widens the lens of church just a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think of what I do as an extension of my local church. And I think of my business as... And I don't need my pastor to even tell me that because they didn't teach him that kind of theology in in their Bible school or seminary. But those of us who get it, like we really have to run with that understanding and, and teach that understanding to the other. Christian business professionals that your ministry in the marketplace, whether you run a business or you're managing anything at any level, that is an extension of the local church in your, really in your city, when you think about it. We think about how Paul addressed and John addressed letters, they were to churches, they were written to churches that were in a region, a geographic area, and it, it wasn't just to I'm not talking about this church on this street corner. I'm talking about the one on the opposite street corner from there. Like, I don't think the apostles really had that kind of uh limited fragmented view of what the church was.
3: What's a cool story uh, that you, in a way that you've seen this work out practically in all the different things you do, because you live in this every single day.
2: And I really try to practice that in my own company, starting out, like, We've and we're not a large company. We a couple of employees, a couple of contractors, and but seven of us gathered yesterday on Zoom and had a meeting. We pray together. It gives me an opportunity to share what are the... I told him yesterday, hey, this company is founded on the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, it says in Ephesians, is Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. So I don't think that just applies in terms of in a spiritual sense of the overall church. But even down to on the most atomic level, I think our marketing practices, Jesus ought to be the cornerstone of that of our HR practices, Jesus ought to be the cornerstone of that as well as the company overall. And, and so that that's just something that I was encouraging them with yesterday and how well, we want to be, one of our core values is encouragement. I'm not a great encourager. That's really not one of my strongest gifts, but I've just seen, we work with authors and I've seen how much these authors and clients need that encouragement and validation when they're turning their manuscript over to you, Pierce. You know this as an author. Like it's a very and you just had a baby. And there's some commonalities there. When your book comes out into the world, yeah. it's a little bit like your baby coming out into the world and just some things like that. But there are organizations like C12 and Convene and FCCI and these fellowships of Christian companies that are truly run on biblical principles and there's just so many companies doing this
3: yeah no by the way every author th- that the reason they write a book is just to get that encouragement bucket filled up there's a hidden need there <laughs> sure <laughs> no um, absolutely yes. That's yeah, a joke, but it's true. I think there's always the Lord kind of turning something that there's always a gap there in the and a wound, and then He heals it and creates something good from it, yeah. or He plants something in the person. Totally. Let's talk a little bit about your book. So, "Marking Like Jesus," provocative title, but I love it, and I, I think that there is a lot to learn from the fact that what He did. Two thousand years ago, he had some help. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's, he's God in flesh. But talk to me, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you were able to observe through his life, and uh, a little bit about some of the principles in the book.
2: Yeah. And I believe in signs and wonders and everything, but like the strategies are not things like go raise the dead, go raise somebody from the dead and then put it out on social media and see what kind of positive response you get. That's not <laughs> go viral. Um, yeah. like, what I tried to do. This book, as I say in the preface is not a religious book. It is a business book. It's a marketing book, but we're learning from the ministry of Jesus and how he connected with people to get his message across. And so I think marketing really goes through five functions, starting out with serve. First, you got to serve people, figure out what you're good at doing in terms of what service you're providing, and then target, figure out who needs that, already coming to you for that then connect is the third function and then lead those people and then the fifth one is to multiply which is really more of a byproduct of doing the first four and then within each of those five functions there are various strategies so for example defining your target group. A lot of people would say Jesus didn't have a target group because he loved everybody. God so loved the world. Yeah, go into all the world, make disciples. He had an enormous vision, which we ought to have. We all ought to have. But during his short window of time on earth, he had a very select group of people that he was focusing his time on. And he defined that as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it was a specific ethnic group. And then the lost sheep were the ones on the fringes of that very tiny ethnic group. The the people that were his disciples, basically, the ones that were on the fringes, not the ones that were the rich and powerful, the ones that were the Pharisees and, and so forth. He would have taken a completely different approach if he was going after people like that. But he brought on these ordinary fishermen, for example, because they represented his target group. I don't know if he necessarily planned it this way, but certainly it's hard to think about in terms of how he was able to determine what type of career he would have. But he was a blue collar worker, which was another way that enabled him to identify with his target group. So I think having a target group is one of the most important things. And working with authors, I'll ask him, Who is this book for? And they'll say, Oh, this book is for everybody. Yeah, we want everybody to read it, but not everybody's going to read it. In fact, a tiny fraction of people are actually going to read. Maybe, Pierce, maybe your book is different. So you have to decide who is that somebody and just go all in on that type of person.
1: I'm curious, have you had any feedback as just with the the title and things to where people uh, assume or get a little offended when you're like marketing like Jesus like how dare you is that a, any feedback that you originally had or was that a intentional in the title
2: i've actually gotten more pushback on the concept of using spiritual gifts in business than mm-hmm. i have on the concept of marketing like Jesus. Because when you think about with, I think if you frame it as, then the way that I define marketing is strategic influence. It's Mm. deliberate influence. It's not just I'm randomly influencing people, but you're very intentional about it. I think people can, that's somewhat palatable for people, but for... In terms of spiritual gifts, I think, because you got some camps of Christians that don't believe that the spiritual gifts are for today at all. And then you have the Pentecostal charismatic crowd who have been taught that the, and, and they will say this to me, spiritual gifts can only be used in a congregational setting. So things like prophecy and tongues and things like that. So I take a gift like administration. So if I'm, how am I using a gift of administration? Am I only using that if I'm counting the offering or if I'm like counting attendance or something like that? Is that the only use of the gift of administration? And then I go into my business and I'm doing administration. What is that? What am I doing then? Am I just operating in the flesh? And so I I just have to break it down like that, to you got to explain to me how this "Oh, that's a talent. That's a natural ability. That's a talent. That's not a spiritual gift." And I'm at the point now where I believe I'm either operating in, in the gifts or I'm operating in the flesh. And I think there are probably more gifts than the ones that are listed there in the Bible. Like for example, connecting. I think people have some people have a gift of connecting people, like the networkers that and that is a that's a really powerful gift. But yeah, I've actually gotten more pushback on that one, believe it or not.
3: Darren and I have talked about this before, but I love his heart on it so much because you know the spirit of God infuses a skill set. When Christ comes and he creates a new woman, a new man, all of a sudden I am transformed, right? The gift that I had on this side of transformation is different on this side of transformation in christ i'm a new creation that means everything is affected by that and we see specific examples of that like with okiliab and in the old testament where these guys are like construction workers or leaders they're just talented people and then the spirit of god rests on them and just like it did with saul the bible says and all of a sudden, they were changed into another man. All of a sudden, they were changed to a different person, a different woman, regardless of, of where you're at in that. And I think the hang-up, it's almost an offense. And it's something that I think you're right, Darren. It has to be broken down gently with a spirit of, of meekness and say, hey, listen, you may have operated underneath a false assumption and that a false assumption is that you need to have the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues or the gift of words, knowledge, or w- whatever, the higher gifts as we like to think of them in order to be an effective Christian. But the Bible talks about both. And when that thing is submitted to the Lord, whether that's your leadership, whether that's connecting, whether that's your ability to create really good standard operating procedures, when you are abiding that thing becomes something completely different and you almost have to be aware that your heart can get offended in it a little bit and say i'm going to surrender that lord what have you given me as inventory i put it at your feet and what can come of it Mm. and that's darren just what you're talking about that's where the good stuff happens that's where entrepreneurs all of a sudden they have fruit in their business that looks like the fruit that you see in a ministry setting because it's the same thing Simply because of surrender, simply because they've, they've taken inventory and they've, and they've given it back to the Lord yeah. in a present state of mind. So yeah. I love what you're speaking on, man.
2: You're teaching, Pierce, on the anointing. I know that's a big part of what we talked about last time. And, and we might say that the difference, because this is a pretty common question, what's the difference between a natural ability and a spiritual gift? I think it's the anointing. Yes. I think in, in one word, the anointing.
3: That's it. And you can see it on people. You can see it on people. And oftentimes we, we've mystique the word for whether it was intentional We're not intentional. We've said, you know what? The anointing is for people who are anointed. The Bible is very clear. In Christ, His children are anointed. And it's simply saying, Lord, I didn't know I had access to this part of the life. What have you given me? And I'm telling you, spreadsheets, digging ditches, painting, anything that you can imagine, anything that your heart gravitates toward— that the Lord has put in you can edify the body, can bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You look at, this is pre-Christ, but totally underneath the weight of, of God. You just look at Solomon and the queen of Sheba, and she looks at his table and goes, that silverware couldn't have happened that way unless God was somehow involved. Anything can bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus.
2: That's right, and I, another way that I think we ought to think about the gifts is that they are yes, it's the anointing, but they are fueled by the fruit of the spirit. So if I'm, I know I'm operating in the flesh, if selfish ambition is what is fueling my gift of administration or gift yeah. of leadership or whatever yeah. your, whatever your gift is, what ought to be fueling it is the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all the different fruits. Actually we're teaching that to my boys right now who are two, the, the two-year-olds he's not exactly into awesome. it right now, the, but my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, and they've got the, they talk about the love, apple, the joy watermelon, the the peace peach, yeah. the patience pineapple, and then we got one for all the different fruit. And so if we're lacking something, you, you need to go take a bite of that watermelon. You better go, you're anxious, you better go take a bite of that peach. And they know exactly what the corresponding fruit is. But that's what I think the anointing, God is into anointing ability, turning it into a gift when we allow it to be fueled with kindness, with with goodness, with gentleness, with faithfulness, self control, all of those different fruits that are so valuable.
3: No, it's so true. You look at you said I love the term you used earlier, the entrepreneur. You look at Stephen in the Old Testament, right? The original, uh, and the disciples are like, "Hey." we got to go do real ministry. Waiting on tables is not a good use of our time, which is fair, but it's a crack up. The Bible records it. And what <laughs> happens? It gets Stephen. And what does the Bible say about Stephen? It says it, I think, three times, at least two times. It says that Stephen was a man that was full of the spirit, working in signs and wonders, doing miracles among the people. And it says that it reiterates it for emphasis a couple of different times over and over again. And you go, What was Stephen's job? He worked at a food bank. He was the first food bank that had a Christian origin in it. And oftentimes, I think the reason we think that partnering with God in a, in a business is meant for someone else is because we don't realize that he is working through the mundane. And the mundane is what manifests the gifts of God so quickly. It's not that there aren't in other places, but if you think that you're going to wait for a mountaintop moment, well, you're going to be waiting your whole life. You really are. Realize that anything can be transformed. And that sense of, even you said it earlier, that I could be in the flesh or I could be in the spirit. Just recognize that you want that, that you want to partner with God. And that's a shift. And all of a sudden, man, take a bite of that peace peach and, yeah. and you're going to see some good stuff happening whatever you're doing. I love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's so it's been so fun to to go through that with the boys and like all of this is just nobody learns more than the teacher and now we're into the the spiritual armor. So the armor is what guards your fruit and your capacity to produce the fruit because what does the enemy want to do? He wants to come in and first of all take all your peace take all your joy and take away your means of production that's what he's after and cuz if he can shut that down he'll he can shut your gift down he and he can oh, and he, and just keep you operating in the flesh Th- that's all you're that's all you're left with so right now we're going through belt and the breastplate of righteousness. And yeah, yeah. We'll have them stand up, put the belt on the belt of truth on chink. And and (laughs) because we got to, you got to know what the promises of God are. And then the breastplate of righteousness, we'll stick our, we'll stick our chests out like that because that breastplate of righteousness is I'm in right standing with God. I know the promises. I know the truth. And I know what it tells me that I'm in right standing with God. So no matter what's going on in the economy, what's going on, I've got maybe business isn't doing so good right now, but I'm in right standing and you can stand up and and stick your chest out and be proud to know that you are in right standing with God. And So we're actually going through the rest of them right now. It's a lot of fun.
3: That's so good. Darren, your inspiration as a leader to our nation, as a CEO, as an institute founder, as an author, as an inspirational father, man, we could continue this conversation for, I think, for another couple hours, and we wouldn't have hit the bottom of the bucket with you. So I really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Before we run out of time, we want to go to Joe's famous five is questions. Joe, I'll I'll give it to you, but it gives our our listeners a little opportunity to get to know you better.
1: All right, Darren, as Pierce said, we have our famous five here. So question number one, what are your top three must read books? And I know for you, this is probably a little bit harder uh, than a lot of our guests considering your business, but not including the Bible. And these can be business, family, spiritual, even your favorite cookbook.
2: Let's see. I love Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a relatively short book, but what you got problems, go read Man's Search for Meaning. You read about what it was like in a Nazi concentration camp as a Jewish psychiatrist and just the mindset that he had in the middle of that I've been reading a lot of biographies lately. One is Ron Chernow's Ulysses S. Grant biography. I just and I'm doing this audibly, by the way, because maybe I just got burnt out so much from editing books that now I pretty much do everything through audio. Another one for entrepreneurs that's actually really good and really inspiring is the. It's by Darren Hardy, the author of The Compound Effect, founder of Success Magazine, but. It it's the entrepreneurial roller coaster. I would highly recommend that, especially for entrepreneurs, young and old. It will be a great encouragement, extremely practical and motivational as well. And it's on, uh, you can get that one actually for free if you have Audible membership. Yeah. It's, you don't have to use up your credit on it. At least last time I checked.
1: Awesome. Cause I'll give the amen that there's no shame in in using Audible to to read some books. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be adding those for sure. Sorry. Question number two. Sorry. You got me thinking about books here. You can send a note card back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that
2: card? Three pieces of advice I would say do what don't give in to the because I went to business school up in New York City and it, they made it seem like unless you're trying to start the next Facebook or Google, your business doesn't matter, it's not scalable. That's, I would say, don't give in to that, especially if you studied business and grad school or something like that, there's a lot of pressure to just go that route. But do really look, take a good look at what the gifts are that God has given to you, what the experiences are, and just recognize God wants to use the way he's already wired you. Yeah, I I would say find somebody who has been there done that to to some extent. And that would be probably answers number two and three, go just find Somebody that can coach you down the right path. I would say find an individual, find a peer advisory group. That's what I would really say.
1: I'm curious is is that something you eventually did connect with, whether it was a C12 or something like that that you became a part of?
2: Yeah. So it, it's interesting you mentioned that. I have been in several mastermind groups, peer advisory groups, and what I have found is that unless somebody's getting paid to facilitate that, it's hard for it to really be sustainable. Like You're going to benefit from it. But if it's like a group of friends, I got this call today, or I got a, a prospect, something like that, it's easy to just let, just skip the meeting. But I would say get in an organization that is charging something where you got some skin in the game. At Theology of Business Institute, we were actually about to launch some of those. And they're called cornerstone advisory groups, because again, Jesus is the cornerstone and he he ought to be the cornerstone of our HR, of our marketing, of accounting, everything that we're doing in business. And that's what we're up to at the Theology of Business Institute.
1: That's awesome. And having run those types of groups and been in them as well, I Yeah, there's just something about investing in yourself and having some money on the line. Question number three. Now, how do you define success for yourself?
2: Yeah, I think success is cultivating the spiritual fruit and having the armor to protect it. And cuz that's the calling is to bear fruit. And that's the kind of fruit Jesus was talking about. The fruit isn't necessarily go make money, go even go make comfort. It's go it's actually to go make disciples. So as we're cultivating that spiritual fruit, the commission is to go and make disciples. And so that's really how I define success. And disciple making isn't just on a a one-to-one basis, but you can represent lead people to run your company.
1: I I love the become like a child in all things. So I'm going to be stealing your fruit exercise analogy, both for my 17 month old, but I feel like there's something too, like even as us adult entrepreneurs finding even those simple ways to remind ourselves of walking out the fruit and getting our minds back in that perspective. That's so good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, we're we're either eating the good spiritual fruit like that joy watermelon, or we're eating (laughs) that rotten depression, or we're eating just whatever that rotten thinking is that the devil is serving up to us anytime we want it. Anytime we don't want to do the work to cultivate it, the Holy Spirit is going to cultivate it, but we have to plan it and water it.
1: All right. Question number four When times have gotten tough, What's kept you from quitting?
2: Got to pay the bills, right? That's a big, some good hearty laughter going on. People can't hear because you're muted. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry about it. Yeah. Didn't want to distract. No, no, yeah. no, no. Amen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a big part of what kind of got me going and, and kept me going is I got married and I can't just keep dabbling around in these startup ideas. I got to make something happen for my family. And, and yeah, that was in terms of jumping ship from what I'm currently doing. It's just the the peace of God and just knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you don't have to go chase the next shiny object and go look at the, the Fast Company article on 10 hottest industries coming up. And I got to go that direction. But no, just stay faithful to what God has put in your hand, and but hold it lightly.
1: Pierce and I like to say quite a bit that it's not sexy, it's just business. And sometimes yeah. you don't need a really fancy answer. It's just, I got to pay the bills and try to do what I feel like I need to do. All right, Darren, question number five. What should we have
2: asked that we didn't? What should we have asked? I don't know. How, how do I publish a book? Go to highbridgebooks.com <laughs> and reach out to us. We'll talk to you about publishing your book. I think people that are interested in learning more about spiritual gifts, you can go and get a hold of the assessment. If you get the book, The Marketplace Christian, it has the assessment in the back, but you can also get it at our website as well. But there's also another assessment. If you go to theologyofbusiness.com forward slash assessments, you'll get a hold of our Christ-centered company assessment, which will take you through 54 different areas of your business from accounting, management, marketing, HR, business law, everything. And each of those items are have a scriptural foundation to them. And that reference is there in the assessment. And take the assessment and see how you're doing and track it over time. Theology of forward slash assessments. I'm, I'm all about having practical tools, and that's the one we came up with.
1: That's I actually had that pulled up right before we got on. I was taking a look at that, and we'll have the the link for that in the, the show notes for sure. Cause there, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. And if someone's already put all of that time and energy in creating something like that, go take the assessment and save yourself a lot of time to start putting some practicals to work that's good yeah thank you darren again so much for spending this time with us and i don't know if we mentioned it or not darren has an amazing podcast that all of you most likely if you're listening to this one you're already listening to his but if not take the time look it up he's got some amazing guests on there and darren i I hope we can have you back again
2: yeah i would love it joe pierce really a pleasure i love what you guys are doing
0: thank you for listening If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and leave a quick review. When you do, it helps other entrepreneurs find this content and benefit from it too. See you next week.